Welcome to the Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to the Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. I'm here to ask the questions that you might want to ask. This week we're looking at the future of our supply chains and how climate change is set to affect them and what we in procurement and supply chain functions need to be thinking about. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing. Enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe. To help us navigate through this huge topic, we're very pleased to be joined by our special guest. She has an MSc in Applied Meteorology, a PhD in Plant Science from Cambridge University, and has been working on the science of climate change at the Met Office here in the UK for 17 years. Please welcome to the Procurement Show, Dr Debbie Hemming. Hi, John. It's great that you could join us. So climate change is such a huge topic and one we could talk about across many podcasts. And today I'm interested to explore what climate change means for our future supply chains and what procurement functions need to be thinking about. So we know that it's real and it feels like people are starting to take it seriously now. So how would you sum up where we are right now? Yeah, it's a good time to sum this up because... One of the major reports that's produced around the world by international climate scientists has just been produced by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And summing up all of the latest climate science evidence, the IPCC or the panel has said that it's now unequivocal that human influence has warmed the global climate since before in the Industrial Revolution. So we've already observed clear evidence of global warming, for example, sea ice reduction, glacier retreat, and greening of some of the colder northern regions. And we're also experiencing some extreme climate events that are quite likely to be influenced by this warming such as floods and droughts. So we're already seeing some of the changes and we understand the key drivers behind these are to do with human-induced greenhouse gas emissions. It's a hot topic. I mean, we hear about the 1.5 degrees, don't we? This is how much the Earth has increased since pre-industrial time and how critical it is to stop this increase from kind of running away with itself. And it seems there are all sorts of predictions here ranging from we might just do a three degree increase by the middle of the century and everything would be brilliant or even a 4.5 degree increase or more by the end of the century. If we don't halt the warming of the Earth... What can we expect to happen? Well, I mean, we can expect more accentuated impacts and changes that we've been observing a little already. So, for example, general warming of the atmosphere tends to lead to more impacts such as droughts and floods because of the more extreme events that are initiated by this this warming. So we might be looking at more extreme negative impacts, as we call them, across the globe. And there will be some areas that are more at risk than others. So we might see changes in the growing seasons, which may be a positive thing in some areas, particularly the colder regions might experience warmer and longer growing seasons, but then in other areas that are already extremely hot, these may well become too hot to manage with our current technology. So at an organisational level, if we think about companies around the world, climate change and sustainability are very firmly on the boardroom agenda. They weren't 10 years ago, but now they are. And that means that companies all over the world are trying to figure out what this means. So there's risk, there's opportunity, and we know that 
the supply chain probably presents the biggest challenge here. So things like globalization, we talked about that in a previous podcast, things like low-cost country sourcing and long supply chains, sourcing stuff from far distant parts of the world, have all been the ways that companies have used those things to gain competitive advantage. It seems now we've got to rethink those things as we start to see the impacts of the Earth's warming. So do you have a view on the sorts of impacts that we might expect on our global supply chains and how companies source? Well, I'm certainly no expert on supply chains, but I'll try and highlight some of the key climate impacts that we could expect and maybe draw out some of the implications for supply chains. So around the globe, as as I've already said, we will start to see more unprecedented stream events as the general trend of warming continues to rise. So floods and droughts will become more commonplace and more extreme. And of course, these will impact on some areas more than others. And it's likely that the areas that are impacted more now of these events are likely to also continue to be impacted further in the future. So much of our infrastructure and machinery, it's not really built to be resilient to these unprecedented extremes in temperature rainfall, river flow, for example, or wind speed or indeed the combinations of these factors. So we may well experience problems that are difficult to anticipate because of these combined factors and also consequently difficult to adapt to with our current technologies such as cooling and refrigerating systems. So these may be inadequate and this may cause difficulties with products that need to be stored in cool conditions, for example, particularly in these products come from warmer regions. Agriculture is obviously very weather dependent, and so climatic events that cause large losses in the major breadbasket regions can have significant impacts on the security of our food supply chains. And within these regions also, pests and diseases are also likely to spread and change in their population dynamics. And so we could see more outbreaks of new pests in in certain regions that completely devastate some crops. And of course, with international trade, there's more opportunity for pests and diseases to spread around different countries. And so outbreaks may well become more prolific. And so these are likely to threaten agricultural crops, but also are naturally persistent across the world. There are a lot of implications of the warming and the associated impacts of that. I mean, we're in a situation, aren't we, where we're used to food coming from all over the world and being part of this complex supply chain. Food is most certainly my favourite topic when it comes to discussing supply chains. So you're seeing that the changes that are potentially ahead in terms of food security and availability, they're starting to have an impact now, aren't they, I guess? Yes, I think so. I think we all know that sometimes we can't get the food that we would like to, maybe because of an extreme event such as a drought or flood that's either reduced the productivity of that area or completely wiped out a crop that year. Pests and pathogens are also increasing in some areas and these can really decimate some of the food supply crops. Yeah, so I think we're already starting to see pressure on some areas for the growth of crops. Also, maybe even the transportation Hmm. and keeping those foodstuffs fresh in time to get them to market. The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the Procurement Fun Fact. 
this edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying or simply saucy sourcing. In 2009, the European Union's central procurement function was tasked with running a procurement exercise to source a donkey. No order. <laughs> No ordinary donkey, oh, but a donkey okay. that would tour around Europe <laughs> and blog about and blog about its experiences as it went. <laughs> Blogging donkey. The bizarre sourcing was to help promote a year <laughs> help promote a year of intercultural dialogue <laughs> based upon the experts of a blogging donkey. Never wanting to be made an ass of, oh, no. the procurement team rose to the challenge and the blogging donkey became the thing of legend, costing a whopping 7 million euros. Later, it was described by the Eurosceptic think tank Open Europe as one of the top 50 most wasteful European projects. At the end of this, did they go, he ought to buy another one? The Procurement Fun Fact. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. So we talk a lot about our supply chains, you know, as in the things that are supplying us and our lifestyles that we have. But I just want to think about the future security of supply in terms of not only for us, but what about the underdeveloped world, you know, the people in poverty? What does climate change mean for them? And what might organisations that source from those areas need to be thinking about? Well, sadly, many of the poorest nations who have actually contributed the least to climate change in terms of greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere, they're expected to suffer the most serious impacts from climate change because some of these areas are already struggling to provide enough food for the populations. And during recent climate events, there's been little capacity to adapt. Although having said that, indigenous peoples in these areas are often well developed and have provided effective ways to be resilient to variability and change in weather and climate. So maybe more should be done to boost these practices of indigenous populations and build the economic and agricultural capacity in these regions, such as, for example, through storage of food facilities, appropriate banking facilities to enable there to be more insurance and resilience in the system to counteract shocks. So I guess it's about being able to think about what companies can do in terms of local action with those communities that are beginning to be displaced who actually serve the supply chains. And that's a different way of thinking for procurement. So that comes back, is that echoing sustainable procurement? Again, that keeps coming back, doesn't it, that phrase? Yeah. Steak. Yes. I love a nice steak. Me too. Um, but I'm becoming a bit kind of increasingly worried that I'm contributing to climate change by enjoying red meat. Mm -hmm. That's often mentioned on the news. Now, we know entire economies rely on clearing forests for livestock farms farming and livestock are big producers of methane and currently the livestock farming takes up a land mass equivalent to north and south america combined did you uh, know that i did know that actually and that's really really scary it is quite scary so this is more than thinking twice about whether you should have a 
steak. If I'm in the meat business, mm. restaurant chain business, burger chain industries, I need to be thinking about what my business can serve yeah. in the coming years, don't I? Because meat may not necessarily be available or indeed fashionable. So will climate change drive a completely new type of foodstuff, do you think? Something that could potentially replace meat. Can we expect our big mac to become a big grown in the lab mac well i don't know honestly consumers will continue to seek a wide range of food products although there does seem as you say to be more awareness at least across the people that i know of where the food is coming from how it's grown the conditions and the chemicals that have been used to produce it this is combined with an increasing demand for more healthy and sustainable food products. So I'd assume that this trend will continue and we may see more demand for food that's grown sustainably and locally. Like you say, there seems to be more emphasis on local production and using local techniques to grow food. So climate changes are also changing the suitability of different areas for different crops and species. And so this will change the mix of food that's produced in different regions. So, for example, more vineyards in the UK, maybe. Yeah, that's a good thing. English wine. But you're saying it could actually affect the quality of food, I suppose, as well, Mm. what we're getting at the moment. Yes, it could. There's always this drive for increasing quality and increasing production. But I think the emphasis on sustainable and healthy food with less chemical addition is what what I've been noticing. Mm. Also move to less intensive agricultural systems. For example, there's a lot of interest now in agroforestry that combines forestry, so trees and shrub growth, with crop and livestock farming. So you have the animals actually in the forest as well, is that right? So you have the forest and you have the animals together? Yes, you could do, such as, you know, it's done with wild boar, but obviously... That's wild forest, but there's more emphasis on how to combine, say, orchards with some kind of livestock farming, chickens Mm. or other such produce, or indeed other combinations such as solar panels and animal pasture, which is already used in this country. So these kind of combined systems may, I would think, become more prevalent in the future. So more chickens in the forest. Yeah. I'm a fan of that. I can see that working because it essentially means you could get more value from your land. Yeah. You can do several things simultaneously. That looks like a win-win situation. And it seems such an obvious thing. And I guess up until now, there's been no need for the world to do this. But suddenly, you know, we have to think about these things. And the meat thing's interesting because I saw something the other day. There's a new thing called cultured meat, which is literally meat that's grown. And apparently it tastes just like normal meat. So I'm wondering if that's something that will come along. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about emissions because we don't seem to be able to move away from burning fossil fuels for transport, energy, industrial processes. You know, all of those things, they're still heavily dependent on fossil fuels. And once we wouldn't have thought about what happens in our supply chains or the emissions that our suppliers produce. But now it's a big deal. There's the thing called the scope three emissions, which is thinking about the emissions produced outside of the organisation in the value chain what is needed here what sort of things can we expect to need to do with our suppliers in coming years in terms of reducing emissions it's difficult to tell but you're right there will be much more pressure political pressure and individuals demanding produce that has been produced with less emissions so the trend will be to 
have supply chains that operate with less emissions into the future. With all this in mind, are we going to expect a doomsday situation? Are we on the brink of Armageddon? Maybe not necessarily globally, but are we going to see parts of the Earth becoming essentially uninhabitable for us? Is this possible? Well, there are already parts of the Earth that are basically not inhabited because of extreme climates such as extreme central Antarctica. But there will be regions that become more pressured by warming, particularly and sea level rise, for example. So some coastal regions will be impractical to maintain. And so there will be some areas that will become basically uninhabitable with our current technologies. But technologies change and we adapt. And so we are very good at adapting to changes and variability. Personally, I think we will think of clever ways to anticipate and adapt to changes. And the more we understand about how the changes are likely to occur and what the potential extremes of these will be in the different regions, the more that these will be factored into new building design, for example, new infrastructure and projects. So at the moment, much of our technology and our infrastructure is based on what the climate was like 30, 40 years ago and the kind of extremes in climate that we experienced at the time. Going into the future, I think if we can factor in more forward-looking view of what the climate will be like in 30, 40, 50 years' time, then we're likely to be able to adapt to these future changes. But there will be extreme and very challenging conditions. So we really do need to reduce our emissions, reduce our carbon footprints, and live in a more sustainable way into the future. And this will make all our lives easier. It's time to Ask Jonathan. And today's Ask Jonathan has come into the procurement show from Ahmed in Dubai, who asks, Dear Jonathan, I've read your book on negotiation. Thank you. Which has helped me as I've had little experience of negotiations outside of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Now, I've had to conduct negotiations with American suppliers, and these have not gone well, as I cannot see how I can come to trust them. What should I do? Okay, brilliant question. Thank you for sending that in. So what you're experiencing here are the cultural differences when we negotiate across cultural boundaries. So within a Middle Eastern setting, the need to have a relationship is really very important. So building a relationship with the person that you're going to do business with becomes a prerequisite. And part of that is about being able to build trust with that other person. Now, within a negotiation with the US, with Northern Europe, then the culture is very different and the need for that relationship isn't there. And that will manifest itself in the way the negotiation plays out. So the language will be very direct. It'll be straight to the point. It'll be about getting down to the deal. The problem is, if that's something that you're not used to, that will appear like it's very cold and there's no relationship. So that feeling of trust that we try and create in a negotiation won't be there. What you've got to remember is this is just a cultural difference. You've kind of got to just put aside the things that you naturally feel you would do and put yourself in the mind of how other cultures negotiate. And remember that the directness is not necessarily a reason not to do the deal, but put aside things like trust and focus on the facts, focus on what is being presented and focus on whether 
the other party is able to present enough things that allow you to have confidence in the deal rather than necessarily needing to like the other person or have a relationship. And the other thing to watch out for is if you're too much about the relationship because that's what you naturally do, that may appear a weakness to the other side. So you've kind of got to play it in a slightly different way. You've kind of got to put a slightly different hat on and put aside the thing you would naturally do and think about that deal and who you're negotiating with, put yourself in their shoes and change your behaviours for that negotiation. We're very much open to questions from all areas of procurement and supply. And if you've got one that you'd like to ask Jonathan, here's how to get in touch. Ask Jonathan. Email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights. We view everything that we're talking about as this doom and gloom, rightly so, Mm -hmm. because we need to do something. We need to be very concerned about it. However, it also seems, as you've just talked about, that this is an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity to adapt. And with that comes innovation. So I'm guessing, I mean, it's obvious already climate change is driving innovation. And I think even entire new industries will probably be born out of these. What sort of things can we expect to see? Yes, I think we're very ingenious a race and so we've seen throughout history that we respond to challenges by innovating and current times I would see agroforestry certainly a new upcoming industry Uh, smaller scale production particularly of food and energy such as providing your own energy for your own household or even village or community so local sustainable options and sustainable food, possibly more recycling and reuse of products. So maybe industries that spawn out of that. I think there's a lot of demand now for more products that are easily reused and recycled. Other possible areas of growth in the UK may be industries that help people and communities to adapt to climate change, such as in flooded areas in some countries such as the Netherlands, the houses are on stilts or they can float up and down. So these kind of innovative ideas that are put into practice are likely to become more used and more innovated in the future. I love the idea of a floating house. I bet you do. I want to talk about pests, you know. Because I've been seeing quite a few stories. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you've got more pests from an environmental point of view, you need to perhaps control them using chemicals and pesticides. That's a whole different discussion altogether. But this potential increase in pests, is this down to climate change as well? Is this also something we need to be concerned about? Well, partly because as you have a change in climate, you have a change in the suitability of that climate for different species. It's also a major effect of the globalization and the increasing trade and movement of people and goods and services. As you have more movement, you have more ability for pests to spread with that movement. And so lots of products that are imported into countries may well contain eggs of pests that therefore become endemic in that country. And we've seen some outbreaks in the UK over the last decades certainly seem to become more frequent and there are new pests and diseases arriving all the time and so there's a lot of work going on to try and survey these at the ports and at the major places where these products are being brought in 
are you literally saying that we've got a situation where pests are hitchhiking a ride to where we are in the UK from other countries? That's I never, ever thought that would even be possible. Oh, yes, yes. This is the major route by which new pests get into this country or in any countries, actually. There's an area of what's called biosecurity research, which is called transboundary pests. And so these are pests that travel across different boundaries, countries, oceans, for example. And so trade, international trade that maybe brings in fruit or vegetables in wooden containers, for example, those wooden containers may well have eggs laid in them. And that's a major route by which new pests and pathogens and diseases arrive. So if you were to be brought in by a big global business and said, you know, Debbie, we need you to help us figure out what we're going to do. We've got lots of global supply chains. We're sourcing all over the world. We're moving stuff around. Risk that we're bringing pests in, we just don't know. And they said, where do we start? So what would you say to them? I suppose what I'd say is what a lot of industries are doing now is really factoring in the current science of climate and future climate projections and the uncertainties involved in those in their risk assessment steps, for example, for future payments in, in your case. So I would suggest that climate change, the knowledge that we have now about current and future climate changes should be part of that process. There is lots of science out there now and lots of advice and guidance by experts. So I think it's very feasible to do this. We'd like to end on takeaways. Mm -hmm. And in this particular episode, I think it's going to have to be biosecure, pest-free takeaways from a wholly sustainable supply chain. With recyclable cartons. Absolutely. Is the future bright? Yes, I think so. As long as we, as in people, organisations and governments, are flexible, innovative and prepared for the likely future changes. And supply chain, flexibility, innovation, that's happening, you say, as well, Jonathan? Yeah, I think innovation is going to give... There's a whole new industry and there's a whole new economy based on becoming sustainable. And we're beginning to see that now. It's going to be the biggest driver of economies, but also the biggest thing the human race may ever achieve if we pull this off. So complete opposite from a positive to a negative. Debbie, our second consideration, what's the worst case scenario? I'd think the worst case scenario would be if large organisations don't move or change to more sustainable practices and possibly countries become more protectionist and less collaborative and sharing across borders. Jonathan, what's the worst thing procurement can do here? I think exactly what Debbie said. I think there's some big impacts that if we don't address them now, they're going to happen. And we're going to see lots of people from underdeveloped countries trying to migrate. And we're going to have to deal with that. That's going to impact our supply chains. And if we don't get this under control, organisations are going to be faced with many more difficulties than we can see today. Okay. And third and final, be it in business, be it in the supply chain, be it at home. What's the one thing we can do today? that will make a better tomorrow? I would say to join a local wildlife trust and to get stuck in and help with the projects that they have going on at the moment. It not only will help and make a difference to your local area and all those local changes cascade up to the global, but it'll also make you feel good and it's healthy. 
Jonathan? I think the procurement function needs to try and understand what is the organisation doing about sustainability and how can it support efforts to try and do real things that that prevent and reduce the impact the organisation has on the climate. Marvellous. Well, that's a good selection of takeaways from both of you. Okay, You can all go home and have one this weekend as a well done. Thank you, Dr Debbie Hemming. Thank you so much for joining us on The Procurement Show. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.